Welcome to Photography Insights, the show that goes behind the scenes with people in the photography industry. And today I continue my series of uh, looking at Corona. This edition is called Coping with Covid, a report from a health worker on the front line. Uh, as you know, I've started this series to document what's going on about the pandemic and I'm featuring an array of people from different places in the world. Today's guest stands out in some way uh, because of his role in life, healthcare. So I want you to welcome David Collier, who works as an, an anaesthetist's assistant in a hospital in Abergavenny in Wales in the UK. David originally joined the show uh, with his son Ned on episode 61 uh, back in late 2019. It was a very popular episode. Uh, due to this unique relationship between the two of them. He spends his time documenting uh, all manner of subjects from portraiture to landscapes and everyday life. Uh, He has a very good eye for detail and showing characters while still being able to develop his own work. Yes, he's another film shooter. However, that is not his full story. David has also been given permission to shoot inside the hospital and help document the crisis. So in this show uh, we talk about the health protection equipment, uh, the UK predicted figures, uh, private medical care, the Queen's toilet seat, work-life balance, shooting Covid on film, NHS funding and time off and hobbies. At the time of press recording David, which was the 13th of April, uh, the UK unfortunately had 93,000 infected people and 12,100 deaths. Startling figures. So uh, please do check out uh, the show notes on the website and you'll get links to David's work. Uh, and obviously, please do keep an eye out for what he posts uh, straight from the hospital. Um, Hopefully you'll be able to interest the press about this, so do watch out for that. Otherwise, let's roll the credits and await our host. And welcome to the show. Um, today's guest is David Collier. Hello. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank, thank you for joining us around your busy schedule, mate. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, obviously, in the introduction, I've explained um, who you are and um, what you do. So I think if we just hop straight in um, with COVID, I mean, yeah. there's, there's obviously so many questions. I, I think you're the right person to speak about it because of what you do mate okay yeah um obviously let's talk first i mean obviously we, we care about you as a person as well so how safety for you around these people it's it's a really difficult one I mean, i'm i'm kind of in a privileged position in that i i work as close to the coalface as you can possibly get with with COVID patients who are coming in to be uh, intubated for ventilation before they go into into ITU, so so kind of let me take take that back to the beginning and explain. So so 
what I do is I'm something called an operating department practitioner, and I specialize in anesthetics. Um, so when I say we're intubating a patient, that means effectively we're doing what we would do to a patient who is having a general anesthetic for an operation in that we mm-hmm. are putting them into an artificially induced coma and we're putting something called an endotracheal tube into their trachea through which they can actually breathe. So they'll be then put onto a, um, a ventilator which will actually do the job of their lungs for them. So okay. I'm, I'm right there working with the anaesthetist um, to actually get the tube in, in, into the patient's trachea and, and enable them to then be looked after in, in ITU by the ITU staff. Uh, so I'm I'm probably in one of the highest risk jobs um, in healthcare at the moment in terms of the contact that we're having with COVID patients. Um, that's you know not not without its stresses, both physical and and emotional. Um, but I'm privileged in that because I'm in that role. We have got pretty good PPE at the moment. Um, you know we as far as you can get in the NHS at the moment with, you know, the budgetary uh, constraints and, and, you know, without getting overly political, um, you know, the sort of fairly sort of piss poor management of what, of how things have been run down in the past. You know, we've we've got what we need. I've got, I've got good masks that I've been fit tested for. We've got surgical gowns that, that we use and we've got a very, very rigorous regime of getting ourselves what we call donning, um, i.e. Putting the, putting the equipment on and then at the end of the procedure, doffing, taking it off. And that all has to be done in, in, a, in a very regimented way to minimise the risk of, of contamination. And we work in teams and we all watch, either, watch each other do that. So, so, it's, so it's done properly. Um, so I feel personally pretty well protected um, having said that, the danger with any illness like this, any virus, is that you don't know who's got it all the time. I mean, there, there are those who come to us who are very, very obvious, and there are other patients that we have and even staff that we work with who may well have it. A lot of people are asymptomatic despite the fact that they're positive, but but they can pass those, um, you know, they can pass the virus on to you. And, and when you work in an environment like I do in a hospital, social distancing goes out the window. Um, yeah. because you you cannot take yourself away from the people that you're working with because you work in such an intimate environment. There's a lot of us crammed into small spaces when we're working, but also you know you know even when you're in the coffee room, it's it, it's it's difficult to sit two meters away from somebody. Um, and you know yeah. we're constantly going from one department to another. So I might be doing uh, intubations for COVID patients. Um, but then also later on in the day, I might have to go over to to maternity to do an emergency cesarean section for somebody. So, so you know, there is that that there is that transference all the time between departments. And then, of course, my other half is a nurse as well, and she's she's a um, an advanced nurse practitioner, cardiology specialist. But because of the nature of the beast with COVID at the moment, there aren't many cardiology patients coming through unless it's an absolute life and death emergency. So she is currently being charged with setting up um, a ward to to run as a COVID ward. And she's been dealing with COVID patients from day one in a hospital in Wales, which is one of the worst affected in the country. And I have to say that I am not impressed or with the level of PPE that she has got compared to the level of PPE that I've got. Um, yeah, it's you know we, we we're kind of waiting for one of us to go down with it, really. I think there's a we do feel there's a sense of inevitability about it, 
you know, we're, we're lucky in that, you know, our age and our health hopefully is on our side. I'm 53 in June, but I'm, I'm probably not a typical 53. I'm a very, I'm a very fit yeah. 53. Um, yeah. And, and Hetty, my other half is, is a few years younger than me and again, fit as well. But the danger of working in that environment is, is that it's not like a general member of the public who, who might have somebody cough on them and, and, or, or, or give somebody a peck on the cheek or, you know, walk, spend, yeah. spend five minutes in somebody's company and, and they get it. You know, we have the dangers of viral loading in that we are constantly exposed to it when we're working in an environment like that. So, so the levels of, of, of the, the, the pathogens that we're actually exposed to are significantly higher than, than what your average Joe in the street is exposed to. So, yeah, there are risks. I don't think you could do the job that I do if you were too averse to the risks and worried about it too much but it is always there in the back of your mind particularly when you are seeing people of the same sort of age as you um yeah. succumbing to it and younger so yeah because it's, uh, yeah, it's been actually all ages now hasn't it yeah which is the pretty scary thing for oh us. totally and you know i mean it was a myth at first that it's you know it's a disease of uh, uh, that affects the elderly and the vulnerable and of course it does it's also affecting people who are significantly younger. Yeah. And, and and you have to remember that a lot of hospitals now have got cut-off criteria as to who they will accept for ventilation in ITU. And, you know, I'm I'm only two years younger than, so the, than the cut-off for some hospitals, and that's a real eye-opener. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a surreal time, really, mate. It is, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say what's what the ruling is in all countries because even though we've spoke to people in america um decisions are sometimes local yeah absolutely. Hospi hospital for things like this aren't they? totally and also on a national level they're also politically driven as well and that's the issue yeah. if you look at what happened in this country you know we really flew in the face of advice from the rest of the world and consequently yeah. we appear to be a long way behind the curve in in terms of what's actually happening with our mortality rate you know we're it's been said that we're three weeks behind italy well you know that that's a pretty pretty frightening trajectory yeah. to find ourselves in and the university of washington have um have looked at how we're doing in comparison to the rest of europe and they're predicting that we're going to be the worst affected in europe and their their modeling figures are coming up with an estimate of around about sixty six thousand deaths in this country you know I mean, that's a that's a staggering amount yeah, uh, I've, I've not looked at the data today but i understand that they have released figures from deaths in the community so i.e institutions nursing homes and that yeah up because the numbers that we've been working on so far have only been hospital deaths hospital deaths yeah, they? yeah. And, you know that's the ones that die in hospital are often the healthy ones that have managed to get there so yeah yeah it's a good point it, it is going to be more but you need a baseline, don't you? So as long as you follow totally, totally. the same figures, yeah. um, that's something. And at the end of the day, I, I'm not a documentarist. Um, I'm not a member of the press, so I haven't got them contacts. But um, this is the real world, mate. Um, oh, totally. Totally. It, it doesn't matter. People are dying in big quantities, which is awful. It's a worldwide issue. Um, we're... You know, we're all doing what we can uh, mentally. You're doing what you can physically and offering support. And, you know, and it's why, like in this country, 
three were doing this eight o'clock um, thing where people go out on the streets and clap for the NHS yeah. workers. It's an emotional um, thing. I mean, you know, we've, we've got about 60, 60 houses in our road and and there's there's a few key workers. Um, there's there's a there's a handful of NHS workers there, and it is. I mean, first night I went out, I had a tear in my eye. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we over the last three years, and you know, with Brexit and the election, we've gone through an incredibly political time. You know, probably the most political time in most of our lifetimes, and 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 the NHS. And the battle for the NHS has been in the centre of that. And so it's really interesting now seeing just how valued it is, but also how valued it needs to be. So for those of us who've been banging the drum for, for a long, long time about how it's underfunded and how staff need to be treated well because morale is at rock bottom, this is why it needs to be funded and this is why staff need to be looked after. Yeah. People are prepared to put their lives on the line to help other people. And, and you know, without without the, the tools to do that, the emotional and the physical tools to do that, it's, 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 a, it's a pretty thankless task. So I do hope if anything comes out of this crisis, it will be that people actually take stock and value what's really important in life. Hmm. You know, it's not just having a few more quid in the bank because you've had a tax cut or whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's yeah. safety net at the end of the day. You know, no no man's an island, and, and nobody can exist without their safety net. So, you know, I, I really hope that that people do actually begin to consider society as a whole rather than the self. You know, mm. Thatch came up with that famous saying, didn't she? That there's, you know, I think it was based on an Ayn Rand saying that you know, there's no such thing as society. Well, you know, what's happening now turns that on its head completely. Yeah, it's there really is such a thing as society, and you know, it needs to be protected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone's struggling in different ways. Yeah, it's just a harsh way to learn the lesson, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, th there are so many issues caused by this. It's not just um, illness, like you've said. Uh, there's going to be financial implications of this, of mm. us going forward. Our kids probably are going to pay for this. Yeah, totally. But this is going to take years to get over. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's gonna, we need to live. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take years from from a health perspective to get over because it's going to have a knock on effect on on the health of the country in terms of uh, people's immunity to things. You know, a lot of people are mm -hmm. immunocompromised. Um, but economically, I mean, the government have eff are effectively bailing out industries and, and businesses and 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 throwing money at the NHS, which should have been given to it and funded sort of over a period of years so they have to play catch up constantly but you know that that phrase there's no magic monetary you know it's got it's going to have to come back in somehow so uh, you know we're all going to pay for that in the long term mm. got, what got, do you think about long term I think. yeah what do you think about privatizing say certain areas of like the nhs so um important stuff like a and e and operations is dealt with or say children I, do you I, think I, that I, could I help i personally think that anything that needs to be done that improves the quality of somebody's life should be free on the nhs we're seeing a few yeah. we're, we're seeing quite a few procedures now disappear into the private sector so so things like varicose veins hemorrhoids you know those, those things are very very difficult to get on the nhs now and they are being being done on the private sector 
you know, it's how do you make the call that having painful varicose veins or, God forbid, hemorrhoids isn't isn't having a, a massive effect on the quality of somebody's life? I'm, I'm you know, fortunate and self declaration. I haven't got either of them, and I, and I wouldn't want to. But I would imagine that if I did, then uh, it wouldn't be very pleasant. But to then have to pay to get that done. Is, is difficult. And I think private healthcare opens up a real sort of viper's nest because you then get insurance people involved. And, yeah. and you know, those two lead, lead slightly. It's, it's like insurance for your car. If you drive a faster yeah. car, you're more at risk, you pay more. Yeah. If you come from a poverty-stricken background, you're more at risk for healthcare, yeah. you pay more. It's, you know, it's it opens up... It's it's a, it's a sticky wicket to get onto, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I make no bones about it. If we were to go to private sector, then you know, I'd probably make a lot more money than I do at the moment. Um, mm. But I think there, 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 there are more important things. I mean, I, I personally think that the NHS is, is is our crown jewels, and we should really do everything we can to uh, to look after it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think there's quite a few countries similar to us like australia um that have some sort of free nhs system and obviously i think um hopefully america will put forward something um it'll probably not be in this presidency but the problem in america is if you if you're poor you die yeah that's it it's you know i've got i've got a couple of american friends and, and they say to me all the time you know do not lose the NHS, whatever you do, because you know, yeah. where we come from, we don't have it. And literally, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're, you're down on your luck, you die. Hmm. You know, they do take your credit card from you on the side of the road before they, they put you in the ambulance. You know, God forbid we ever get into that situation here. Yeah, that's why I think there'll be lessons learnt yeah. uh, by some countries. And I think, absolutely, like, like you say, one of our lessons will be we make the NHS better. I certainly hope so, and uh, you know, I, I hope that Boris Johnson's uh, stay in hospital and uh, mm. and his uh, his brush with death has actually opened his eyes to uh, you know just why he needs people like me. Yeah, and I hope I hope they didn't do anything more for him. I don't mean this in a bad way. No, no, I agree. In a normal person. Yeah. So he had a normal person's experience, so they didn't absolutely, paint the walls absolutely. for him, you know, with this rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important for people like that to get a reality check. Yeah, it's... Because obviously, like, when the Queen visits somewhere, everything has to be really nice for her, doesn't it? Uh, I once heard, and, and this was from a very reliable source, my father was a newspaper editor and, you know, I've, I've spoken to sort of various people that the Queen takes a goatskin toilet seat with her everywhere. That is, everywhere she goes, it's fitted mm. to, to any toilet that she might use. Uh, and that's just that's so far removed. For the Royal Bottom, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it could be absolute bullshit, but you never know. Yeah, exactly. I like, well, it, I like to think it's true. <laughs> It would be. Well, they used to have a job on it, the royal stall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a real thing yeah. back in the medieval period, the end of the 8th and that, so yeah. you never know. Um, mm. Obviously, um, this leads on to things like your work-life balance now. Yeah. So 
I understand you have to work emergencies and, and things like that, but how's that changed for you? So my shift pattern has changed a bit. So I, I work on, on the basis of a rotor that I know what I'm doing every day for the future, basically, because we work on a rolling rotor and it, and it works on a formula that you can very easily work out what you're doing. So I get, I get my shifts a, a year in advance. Oh, um, okay we're kind of a week in advance now because we're working on, on, you know, there's going to be an attrition rate where people sort of fall sick and go by the wayside. And, and so you yeah. know, we're having to be a lot more adaptable. Um, we run a system whereby there are two, uh, there's, there's one anesthetic practitioner on at night, generally pre COVID there's one, one anesthetic practitioner on at night and then another one on call. Uh, and as long as they're within half an hour of the hospital, they can do an on call from home. Um, Right. We have now got two on-call people on at night, and the first of those on-call people has to be on site. Um, so even though I work, I live ten minutes from the hospital um, on a, on a push bike. Um, right. I have to stay on site. Um, so yesterday yeah. I was on um, from eight to six, eight, eight in the morning till six at night. It was a busy shift. And then I was on, I was on site through the night. Fortunately, I didn't get called in. So the purpose of the, the first on-call person is you're already there for maternity. So the theory being that if the first person on is tied up in another operation um, or particularly an intubation for, for COVID, mm-hmm. the person who's on with maternity has to be there at the, you know, the drop of a hat. So if you're on site, you can do that. Um, we've just got to be a lot more flexible. I mean, it might be that we're, you know, we're due to finish at six o'clock and it's half past five and you get called to do a COVID intubation and you might still be there four hours later. So, uh, so yeah, we just, we just had to, to put a, a, an even greater degree of flexibility into our, into our, our work and our life as, uh, as possible. I'm, 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 in a, in a slightly perverse sort of way, I'm quite enjoying the lockdown because it means that I'm actually sort of really appreciating my days off and, and getting things yeah. done. Um, we're lucky we've got quite a big garden. Um, my other half is, is a very good gardener. Um, I'm just good for lifting things and uh, Same play, playing with the chainsaw, you know, pretending I'm a real man, put on a tartan shirt and get the chainsaw out and cut stuff up. Um <laughs> But we've done a lot of work to the garden. We've we've started planting a lot more vegetables. We've got a greenhouse coming on Thursday, um, and also we're really lucky living in in a rural area where we do. In that, actually, I can just get out for a walk, and uh, mm. and I can still socially isolate from the side of a mountain somewhere. And uh, as long as I don't yeah. go, you know, I've had to think about. You know, I'm a cyclist, and I didn't go out on my mountain bike the other day because I really don't want to end up in A and E at the moment. Um, that, that would be a very very bad move. But you know, I'm going out for a going out for a ride with a colleague tomorrow. You know, we'll just keep a decent distance apart, and so I can I can do that because we are fairly isolated. Um, mm. But you know, God, you know, can you imagine having young children living in a flat in a city at the moment? Or something having to do it. Yeah, that's what we're saying. One of the models um, I've interviewed in the past because um, I, I messaged everybody to see how they were. Yeah. She come back and said. Um, she lives in like a, a one room type thing. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, bless yeah. her!" Climbing the walls that must be awful. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I never run out of things to do. I take a lot of photos. I've got loads of negatives to scan and work through. I pick up yeah. guitar and uh, and play it, so you know it's okay. And 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 actually, I, I'm still managing to do an awful lot of photography during during this period as well, which is. Uh, 
which is keeping me sane, both both out of work and in work as well, really. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, because obviously um, something you've said um, recently is you've been allowed to document what's going on as a photographer, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, so for a while I've been chatting to the clinical director at work because we, we're having a change of, of hospital. So the trust that I work for um, and my partner works for, um, the hospitals, the two hospitals are about 20 miles apart, but they're building a really big new um, acute critical care centre, sort of equidistant between the two. Um, mm. And so the hospital that I work in now, um, it, it's going to carry on going, but on a much, much smaller basis. So it's going to lose a lot of its big sort of acute operations and, and healthcare. And so I've been in talks with, with clinical director about maybe just doing a sort of documentary um, shoot of the last year or so of the hospital. Mm. And, you know, we've sort of been humming and ahhing about it and never, never quite got round to it. And then all of a sudden COVID reared its ugly head and I uh, thought, well, actually, this is a, this is a great opportunity. Let's do this. So I spoke to them again, and um, and they, they they management were really good about it. They uh, they they gave the go ahead to do it. And uh, there's another guy on the staff who does the same job as me, who's also a photographer, um, <laughs> very very different style to me. Um, and so we between us have been able to to take photos. So he's shooting digitally, and I'm shooting film. Um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Um, I, I started off using a little Olympus XA2 because it's easy to clean and I can just wear it. It's very small. Uh, I don't need to worry about focusing too much. I can just zone focus on it um, and uh, just wear that inside my scrubs on a lanyard and, and pull it out and uh, take take shots as I want to. But then uh, I was shooting 800 ASA. Um, or I, it shows how old I am, 800 ISO. Um, and I decided I wanted to be able to push it to 1600. So I bought myself a little XA3, um, just the next one up, because I can, I can I can override the DX coding on that and uh, and, and change yeah. it to 1600. And Ned's going to get the XA2. So he's, he's doing quite well out of it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's looking good. And, and I've got, I've shot about six or seven rolls so far. And, and got some good shots. I I deliberately decided not to get permission to shoot patients um, because I think mm-hmm. it's too distracting, and also I think there are there are too many other emotional issues involved in that. In that family aren't able to see the patients, yeah. and I just think it's a little bit of an in, infringement of of um, of, uh, of the uh, of privacy of the patients. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm really concentrating on the staff and the effects that it's going to have on the staff and that, that sort of emotional roller coaster that we're going through over a period of weeks. So, so it's, it's really, really difficult for people who are on the outside of healthcare to understand what it's like being on the inside, particularly mm-hmm. when you work in a very, very acute environment like I do. Yeah. you're a very very tight-knit team and you bond very very quickly because of the nature of the things that you see um mm-hmm. and uh and so consequently there's almost a sort of gallows humor around around healthcare because you need to have that sort of slightly dark slightly surreal sense of humor in order to deal with things so mm-hmm. so to begin with, you know, there's lots of laughter and people messing around, you know, be- before it's really sinking in, you know, I, I, I keep on m- making this analogy that that waiting for COVID is a bit like standing on a beach, somewhere nice, somewhere tropical. Mm-hmm. It's all good, but you know there's a tsunami coming. 
Right. And you can see it because you've seen it in other countries. You've seen what's happening. Yeah. You can hear it because it's on the news all the time. And there's a sense of inevitability about it, but you don't know when it's going to hit shore. Yeah. So there's the, you know, there's almost this sort of slightly base survival instinct comes that kicks in that people actually sort of deal with that with humor and messing around. So, so the opening, the opening couple of weeks of the shoot, you know, people are messing around, people are, people, are, you know, sitting in a box in, in an empty theater or something like that because they're so tired. They just said, I want somewhere to sleep. And, you know, so they found a big cardboard box and they're thinking that. And then, and then all of a sudden you can see the cracks beginning to appear as people are getting tired. People are yeah. being deployed into areas that they're not used to. So, a lot of staff, particularly on the scrub side, uh, so those who work with the surgeons with the instruments, they're not they're not needed so much in theatre because the operations aren't being done. So they're being redeployed right. to ITU now. Although they're nurses, they yeah. might not have done ITU work. They might not have done anything other than theatre work in twenty years. So all of a sudden, and even the theatre assistants who are, are, are fantastic, but they're the runners, they're the non-registered staff who help. Yeah. Um, they're being deployed to ITU. So, you know, it's a massive, massive step up. So you can see all of a sudden the strains kicking in. So, so my, um, my, my documentary or my, my documenting of this crisis is really from the perspective of what's happening to the staff and how, how we are dealing with that as a cohort. Um, it's taking shape quite well. It's, um, I'm pleased with what, with what I've shot so far. It's going to make, interesting work afterwards I think, mate, so. I think it'll uh, it'll it'll be certain i mean it's it's a privilege really to be a, to be in a position where you could actually document something important that's part of yeah. part of our social history um yeah, yeah. we're not going to forget this stuff see what, what we can do in terms of finding an outlet for it yeah you're not going to forget this stuff for generations ah, mate. not at all not at all no. Uh, I mean, what one little thing there is. Uh, obviously, you've talked about scrubs. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what we've heard in this country is um, you, you've been struggling with the number of scrubs available. Totally, totally. So, um, funny enough, I mean, we I'm quite protected again where we are because we're quite small. But it is because we're going through a lot of them. Mm. You're changing a lot a lot then um you know you do notice them I and all of a sudden you go from wearing ones that fit you to one that i had some the other day that the tie i could almost wrap around my waist you know twice and you know you're either there's, there's kind of no happy medium there's they're so small they're like hot pants or they're so big they're like clowns pants you know so it's, wow. uh, so yeah but we it's my mum's birthday today so we had a um a big sort of family zoom session uh, mm -hmm. my aunt was saying that she's collecting sheets to make into scrubs and my sister-in-law is making masks and things like that. You know, it's uh, it is a communal effort, but yeah, we're, we're short of things. I mean, you know, make no bones about it. The, the NHS has been completely underfunded for years. It's, uh, mm. you know, it's, it's creaking at the seams and, and all, all these politicians up front who was say the NHS will cope. It will cope because it runs on the goodwill of the staff. It's not coping, <laughs> it's not coping because it's so well provided for. It's coping because you <laughs> have to cope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, physical things like clothing is a totally different matter than oh. the PPE's mask. And it's that. not like you're getting your kid at school. You can't do it in your pants, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, you, have, you have to have the correct equipment to do the job. You do, yeah. It is. To protect your patients. Yeah, 
I mean, hopefully, um, going forward, uh, they'll invest in uh, the NHS and we'll sort this out. I hope, but... they, I hope it's a wake-up call for public and politicians. Yeah, yeah definitely. We, we, we seem to have goodwill on our side now. I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, if you have the backing of the people, that's the big thing, isn't it? Totally. So, um, so I was looking at the figures earlier, and uh, unfortunately so far we've had 93,000 cases and 12,100 deaths, which is just startling. Yeah, that's hospital deaths, though, isn't it? I think... Yeah, and that's hospital yeah. day, and that's of yes, yesterday. Sixteen hundred, which was which was include sixteen thousand, sorry, which is including everything. But I mean, that seems fairly conservative to me. But... Yeah, it's it's just really scary. The numbers keep scary. going up, and I think I think if one if one good thing comes out of it, you know, like we were saying earlier, I think I think society will will look at its values and change, and and it's really you know, it's. One of the ironies of, of of this lockdown is that I've actually met a lot more of my neighbours, um, mm. and you know we, we we spoke about this before when you interviewed Ned and I that you know I'm although I do what I do for a living, you know really that just pays the bills to me. I'm 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 a photographer who dabbles in anaesthetics. Um, yeah. The beauty of my job is that I don't have to compromise on what I shoot. Um, so, so I can, I can, I can take photos of exactly what I want to do and document what, what, whatever I want to do, and I, and I do have this drive to document things. I, you know, it's it's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning, and the last thing I think about when I when, when I go to bed at night. I'm I'm completely mm-hmm. driven by photography, and and the thought of not being able to get out, and my and my style of photography is is very very people orientated, and actually being able to go out and meet mm-hmm. people and. Uh, and and find out about people and take their photos and so i decided that i would climb the walls at home if i couldn't get out and take photos so i i live in a a street of 60 houses a victorian terrace street in in abergavenny in in south wales and and it's a really friendly street but it's a street that's divided in that my end of the street is a cul-de-sac um and halfway down the streets is a road that goes off and so anyone who comes in at the other end or lives at the other end doesn't really come to my end of the streets because they they drive out one way or the other um and so i I thought what i'll do is i'll use this this lockdown period this period of social distancing to actually meet more of the neighbors um and and some so one of my neighbours started a WhatsApp group just just to uh, to offer support to anyone who needed it at the moment, and mm. uh, which was fantastic, and and that kind of spurred me on to thinking, well, what can I do to actually bring about some sort of cohesion in the streets? So I put some, uh, I, I printed off some some flyers uh, just titled entitled uh, "Social Distancing Photography Project," and and I, I put it through the door of every house in the street. Explaining what I did, explaining what my role is in the NHS, but also the fact that I am a photographer who started off my photography career, and I use that word advisedly in in the eighties, hanging out with newspaper photographers uh, on on the paper where my dad was an editor, and and you know learning how to uh, to handle a, a clunky old Nikomat uh, SLR camera and how to develop film. Um, yeah. And you know, sort of from there, developed my my documentary style. And and what I wanted to do was, I wanted to do a shoot of as many people in the street as possible, and as many houses 
but from the perspective of social distancing. So people would stand in their porches um, and I would stand on the pavement and stand back a minimum of two metres and shoot them with a wide-angle lens. So um, 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 so far I'm up to about 20, 25 houses have, have come in, but they're coming in in dribs and drabs. I'm hoping that by the time everyone's been locked down for another three weeks or so, they'll be so bored that they'll be begging me to come around. And <laughs> but, so I'm using, you know, I'm shooting that on HP5. Okay. I'm not shooting it on Triax, but I'm shooting it on HP5 purely because all, all of my Triax stocks are, um, are sort of tied up with the work project at the moment. Yeah. I'm shooting it on a 28mm lens on my Canon F1. Yeah. Okay. But it's good. I've met some really nice people. The people that I didn't know were there, people that I've walked past in the street and haven't said hello to or have just nodded my head at. Um, and it's really interesting how many people live in the houses that you don't know. You know, houses that have got three teenagers in that you never see. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of a sudden they're coming out standing on the doorstep with their their pet rabbit or their dogs or the cat in their arms and, and things like that. And, but the amount of people who have lived in the street for 20, 30, 40 years as well. So it's, it's a really yeah. good sense of community. So I think that's going to be something that something good that will come from it as well. Yeah, um, that's hoping, really nice. I'm hoping to get that into a newspaper. I, I, I mean, I spoke to The Guardian about it today, actually, and, uh, and they wanted mm-hmm. me to email them with some... Uh, some stuff, but at the very least, I'll get it into the local paper, so uh, that'll be good. That's good, mate. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's important to keep positive, and it's definitely, nice that definitely. some people are doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, I think you you do have to have a positive mental attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know some people are struggling because um, they're not fortunate like us, where you know we've kept ourselves um, busy through work. Totally. And, they're, they're the, and we've got the passion drives us as well, haven't we? That's it. Yeah, I think that one of my one of my real concerns about what's happening at the moment is how this is going to affect mental health of the country. Uh, yeah. mental health provision is on its knees already, and you know, there's yeah. an awful lot of people who are very, very underserved um, and don't have the safety net that they need. And and I think you know the ramifications of what's happening here with with social isolation and you know people basically not getting the support they need is is going to be pretty dire i think for a lot of people yeah i think you're right mate it's it's the biggest thing and i think um, obviously in photography we see this because uh most photographers say you do it for a living they work alone yeah absolutely it's quite it's quite an um an isolated job really mm. yeah it definitely is and um you know i've spoke to a few people and some of them have been struggling because they've been at home because of work. They've had the kids home, so everything's, you know, conspiring against them. There's wedding photographers that can't go out. They're used to it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I spoke to two people tonight. I'll not name them, and um, they were looking at ways to help and stuff. And I says, well, why don't you just write something about it? And I says, I tell you what, I'll, I'll set this up. That's why I said to you, I'll just be a couple of minutes. So I set up a document online, invited them both in. Literally within five minutes, they both started writing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. If I can just do something to help Yeah, people. totally. And I think anything that helps you come to terms with the emotions that you're feeling around it as well is, is a good thing. Yeah, because yeah, that's what you need to do. You need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, you can't talk at home because your partner or whoever's probably got the same issue as you. Totally. And it's, 
it's you know I think it's inevitable when you do what we do for a living as well that you do talk about it all the time because when you do the type of jobs that we do it's it's kind of more than just a job it does take your life over to a certain extent oh, yeah. Um, yeah. so inevitably you know you sit down you have your tea you talk about you know who's done this and who's done that and who's died and you know what what you're facing and what your fears are and uh, so yeah so it's good to have something that takes you away from it completely yeah well i think you've um spoken some really nice things so going forward mate um obviously we hope you keep safe um yeah me too yeah keeping. i've got a week off now it's great i can't go anywhere i've got to decide which room i'm going to spend it in you know that's it (laughs) (laughs) but it feels it feels like you know a much much needed holiday (laughs) yeah i mean i've just had this long week uh weekend uh, and for me, it's been ace because I've been spent time with my daughters yeah. and um, do tiny bits of photography, not a lot. Um, but obviously, I've done this is my fifth podcast now in seven days. Exactly. Yeah, and there'll be six tomorrow in eight days. Yeah. So, yeah, um, considering I'd stopped, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never stop, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things, isn't it? So, um, yeah please stay safe mate um cheers we, we all appreciate what you're doing and it's nice to hear your viewpoint for uh, people in other countries as well yeah good well i've enjoyed yeah. it thanks for thanks for asking me again no not a problem mate you take, take care. care cheers, cheers david <laughs>